truth is, we're all making this up as we go along. I'm John Gilbert. I've run small businesses for 17 years, and as I'm about to turn 40, I'm trying to understand where to go next. Fortunately for me, Dr. Paul Sewell, OBE, has agreed to help me out, with lessons learned from his career as a successful serial entrepreneur. If you ever wonder where you should go next, please join us for this opener of a four-part journey into the second half. Firstly, in some ways you don't look 40, but in other ways you've been around for that long. I was really surprised you're only 40. But I, I don't know, 14 your generation, John, is I don't think like 14 my generation. You guys, you know, you, you guys are going to live to be, you know, 90 odd, whereas my generation, if you get to 80, you've sort of done okay. So your career, I think, is naturally going to be a long one. Mm. Uh, long in the way that, you know, my generation, it was your you, you sort of 60 mark and then you'd... Uh, uh, part of this mortal coil at you know late seventies, eighty. You guys are going to live to your mid nineties, and the economics of it means that we probably got to get used to stopping economically active a bit longer. Mm. So I think uh, looking backwards at what a state a career would be probably isn't a good predictor of your second half. I don't think. Mm. Uh, what I would say though is that many many years ago we started to say at our place. Uh, don't have a CV that's a chronology of roles. That's a waste. You know, I was senior this, then I went to be junior that, then I moved to so-and-so. Uh, I think we, we coined this phrase, you need a CV of wow projects. And uh, those projects will mean something to you and much more to other people when, if they have to look at that CV. And I think that's a little bit like a career. Mm-hmm. You know, and it might be a change of business. It might be that you put that business down, do another business, or go into partnership with somebody else. But I think to be open-minded about it, I think is probably uh, a really good thing in your generation. Because we were brought up to be... I mean, I was brought up from, as it says in the book, uh, post-war. And and to win a war, you've got to have a command and control type of look at your society and your community. Well, my generation became the first generation in the in the sixties and seventies as like a cultural revolution, and and even in business, people stopped the command and control thing and started to become much more visionary. And in my career, I've seen in businesses everybody's a bloody visionary, and uh, we forget that you've got to execute on that vision and get the plans to execute on that vision. And I found that if you try to predict too much, uh, it is a recipe for disappointment. Uh, if you get your mind set on a vision and that's your aim and you're going for that and uh, sometimes you'll be so focused on it you miss the stuff that's happening either side you, you go on a different very single-minded straight track journey whereas I feel the journey coming up for you it's going to be far more interesting if it meanders around a bit and you're confident enough to let it do that because if you're too visionary and you're too focused you'll, you'll stress yourself on you're not on your way to your vision I think I would I would suggest that if you relax a little bit, uh, live live each day one day at a time, because that's the way life happens, uh, have some key core values uh, uh, and, and uh, self-awareness that know what floats your boats and gets your creative uses flowing, relax a bit into it, I would say. Because mm. uh, I think there's a lot of people of your generation even more so than my generation, get quite stressed at career progress. 
because they're not at certain junctures at certain times and well we don't want a career that stresses us we do we want a career that that's fun mm. I, I believe part of the issue in your second half is actually really knowing what success looks like yeah. for you what you're saying is we have it detailed out for us what success looks like and we try to exceed to those things and many people are really happy with that and many people live that life I think looking at your first half I wouldn't predict that you'd want a second half like that uh, I think you've been quite self-determined uh, as far as I know you started you working for yourself having your own business fairly young yeah. and you've been self-determined in that that's way. why I feel like I've been around forever Paul I haven't yeah. really I, yeah. I started my business for the big motivator that a lot of people started because I was unemployed yeah, yeah. and uh, I couldn't just wait for a job to come along so I thought well I'll do the self-employed thing temporarily until I get a good job and that was 17 years ago now then having had a few years experience of being as you say self-determined entirely I think you're right I think what you said earlier on is about putting pressure on yourself I feel that I'm at a point in my career where I've had a good time but have I really positioned myself and have I positioned the business and most crucially my mindset around what does that, that second half look like and I hear what you're saying, just relax and just go with the flow. But will I always feel like that 10, 20 years' time? I'm not well, so sure. I think self-awareness is everything, isn't it? You know, people are properly self-aware. And at my company, we even do uh, quite very modern psychometric tests and do detailed 360s that if people are not self-aware, they're sort of forced into it because it's the best basis, isn't it? It's the best basis to, to look at. But I think part of the first stage in your self-awareness is a discussion of, of, of whether you think you're an entrepreneur. You've just said it was one of those situations where the thrust upon you, and that happens to so many people. Uh, do, do you feel, uh, what do you feel an entrepreneur is? And, 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 and in what way do you feel like one or not? What's your self-awareness on that basic entrepreneurialism? So I, I've never described myself other than my LinkedIn profile with, with the word entrepreneur. And on LinkedIn, I call it a social entrepreneur. I'll, I'll explain yeah. what I mean by that in a moment. But the way I would describe myself is a serial starter-upper of things. I can more than just see an idea or an opportunity. I will go and make it happen. And people have said to me before, they'll be running projects and they'll be going, I, I just woke up one day and realised I was running a project. And I think, how did that happen? And I think back, because it was your idea, John, and you needed to leverage other people to, yeah. to do it. And quite often I'll step back. I just think, wouldn't it be cool if this happened? And people have created things and are still doing them today, which was from a genesis of my idea, but didn't need me. And maybe I wasn't best suited to, yeah. to see that thing through. The gap in what I perceived the way that I've been operating and, and how an, opera, an entrepreneur operates to be honest is about wealth creation now don't get me wrong i'm doing okay and but that's never been the goal that's the byproduct no. of, of of the goals well what i've discovered is that entrepreneurs are not necessarily business people and business people are not necessarily entrepreneurs i think that's a myth uh, i believe what Muhammad yunus said the guy who formed the credit bank in india to get lots of indian women out of poverty and uh, he said uh, he, he feels an entrepreneur in everybody. Uh, we had to be in the caves just to survive. And it's just that hundreds of years of being labour, being in society, educations, crushes it, crushes it down. And it's ended up a little bit closer to the surface in some people than others. 
but a situational entrepreneur if you're if you're going on holiday the plane goes down and your your family are in danger you you get entrepreneurial very very quickly in the ways you don't overthink things you you take a leap at things you you make things happen you get from a to b no matter what all the stuff that entrepreneurs do so in that situation as an entrepreneur in all of us uh i think with you something happened that clicked it, it was needs must wasn't it mm. uh and when I look at my career, I was brought up in a very entrepreneurial household and saw entrepreneurialism and business in front of me. But as soon as I started to do A-level and go to university and then did a building degree, and then I think from the age of 20 to the age of 40, I was a sort of a, te- a technocrat, a business person, who was doing that stuff that norm- you normally do in business, satisfy customers, get better clan, organisational structures, etc., and my entrepreneurialism, I'm sure, came in my second half when I look back. Uh, and I think then I became a serial entrepreneur. Whatever I do has got an entrepreneurial uh, side to it. Uh, and, and then the entrepreneur turns it into a business totally predicated on the people you gather around you. Mm. Uh, and then you end up... Uh, there's that old phrase, isn't there? When you end up the dumbest person in the boardroom, you know you've made it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm certainly the dumbest, <laughs> per- dumbest person in my boardroom, so I think souls are okay. But to know, uh, not to treat the entrepreneur as this sort of an E, an e on your chest rather than the S for Superman, <laughs> you know, I, I hate that stuff. I think I think uh, you can get a situational entrepreneur that he wants it. You can get a project entrepreneur somebody who passionately believes about one project and they're not really entrepreneurial about anything else but that project. My wife is a social entrepreneur. She created the Animal Welfare Trust, a cause-based organisation, 30 years ago. Uh, She isn't particularly entrepreneurial about anything else. So I think that self-awareness for your second half, there's certainly entrepreneurialism in in there. We need to discuss whether you can change that into a business by gathering the right people and hence become the dumbest person in the boardroom and uh, be able to execute those ideas to a point. I think we should talk about execution because uh, in this visionary world I've lived in in my second half, uh, I think execution has become that little, uh, that that 95% that doesn't happen enough. Mm. Uh, When I go to business events for the past, my second half, uh, everybody's a bloody visionary. You know, everybody just wants to be a strategist. And that, that basic execution that changes those ideas into businesses that serve customers and make customers' lives better and make your people's lives better, etc., etc., creates wealth. Uh, I, I think that's the thing we've missed in my second half. Because now, of course, I'm in added time. If you're in coming in the second <laughs> half, I'm in added time. But it does allow you to look back mm. and, uh, and, and, and write books. Mm. Uh, so I think the self-awareness... Your self-awareness of uh, uh, what your entrepreneur is, uh, is and has been and means to you uh, will give you a better decision-making process uh, to be able to say, well, uh, what type of person... Because a lot of people wish they were one type of person and they really kid themselves that they are. And then when they get feedback, they're actually not. And so if you're going to make success in the second half, I think it really starts on a, uh, a really good shot of self-awareness. If you were with us, 
you'd do some of the profiling and you'd laugh you'd laugh ever so much because if you disagreed with anything and you showed it to your wife she'd go oh god yes <laughs> that is you yeah. uh, and it makes yourself aware like that your colleagues saying you know what they think your strengths because we've all we've all got a positive side you know what everybody re- respects and you know oh god that's the that's the good john but the problem is he's bloody like this as well your shadow side but your shadow side fuels the other side you can't have you can't just say oh can we have the good john that everybody loves and is positive it's driven by the shadow side is all we do is make sure we know the triggers that flick somebody over from the good side to the shadow side i know my triggers uh if uh well it comes out in the test and they are right uh slow walk anything and i get really arsy <laughs> uh that's a trigger to get my shadow side which is quite confrontational quite i get irritated and uh and uh, i don't get angry but i uh, I, get, I get arsy is a really good word i think uh so if if i like you i have quite a lot of ideas uh, if anybody just comes and slags the idea off, that's not a good idea. You get my shadow side. If somebody comes along and shows interest in it and explains why they don't think it's a good idea, that's fine. You don't get my shadow side then. So that's my sort of side of self-awareness. Uh, and so, uh, on your self-awareness, do you do you still do you still love Monday mornings? Has there been a period? In recent times, where you've had that, do you know? I really wish there was another Monday, uh, another Sunday coming along here. No, I'm still, I'm still enjoying and passionate about the, the day job. The, the 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 thing that gets me is not so much the Monday mornings. It's it's not been so bad recently. It's, it's the Sunday nights of why am I still working? Or, yeah. So the, the definitely, I've I've found myself working for the sake of working sometimes, and if you're not careful, you end up resenting it. I mean, I guess a very quick positive history of, of, of my career in marketing, media, communications is when I had business partners, we ran a larger agency with more employees, I had four business partners, equal business partners, talented, intelligent people, but we had different ideas and I guess we were pulling in different directions and that really did get me down. So when I broke away from that partnership, which was very amicable, didn't happen very quickly, it was two years of me mm. pulling, um, I found it an entirely new lease of life which wasn't because I felt oh I'm my own boss again I know I'm not accountable I genuinely wasn't that it was just believing in our vision and the purpose of what, the purpose of what we're doing Eskimos byline is social good we feel that everything that we do is worthwhile it's not about selling people no. shit they don't really need it's not about purely working for clients just to make a rich person richer it's, it's, it's not about those things it's down and dirty with the social challenges around criminal exploitation, sexual exploitation, mental health problems, domestic abuse. And when we get wins, when we get project wins, when we hear stories about how our work has helped somebody, let's say we're running a campaign about how to pick up forms of cancer earlier on. If we get the data that more people are presenting earlier on and therefore it will have theoretically saved X amount of lives, that's really cool and that that infuses me and it infuses me on two levels. One is the the nice warm fuzzy feeling you get because you feel like you've done something good absolutely but the other level is feeling like you're getting a pat on the back and that yeah. recognition doing yeah. doing something well so the fact that it helps somebody brilliant but also knowing that, that that people have respected it getting that positive feeling i know that in terms of being self-awareness from my own ego 
I need to be told every now and again the, what we do, we're doing yeah. well. Who I doesn't? Need to hear that. Yeah. Absolutely, human mm. through I think you've articulated there what we found out. We, we called it the difference between a purpose and a higher purpose. You know, any business has got to serve customers and, and somebody's got to pay for something more than it costs you and you've got to give a return and it's got to generate cash because if a business doesn't generate cash, it can't pay its way, it can't pay its people and it's... And so the basic purpose of a business has, has got to be that in whatever field it's in. But uh, I think a business having a higher purpose, and I think exactly what you described, your business is built on a higher purpose actually, and it works the other way back to a purpose of, of generating some, uh, s- some income. Having a higher purpose, which is something around making people's lives better. Because I love the Branson quote, business has got to be about that or else it's simply not worth doing. So for us to have a higher purpose that in, in our area, we make people's lives better as we do business. And that's our own people, that's our supply chain, particularly our customers. And if you do that and you put deposits continually by doing that in what we call the bank of goodwill, and I think that should be on the balance sheet, by the way, when you cock up, and we all do, people give you a break. So I think that's the payback. I mean, I've been, sometimes I've thought over the past 10 years, we've actually, as a company, been too philanthropic. We're, we're the easy, we're, we're the first option for people who want... Sponsorship. Yeah. Uh, anything like that. Any, yeah. uh, from, from a kid's football shirt for Cottingham service station over there to a bottle of wine for a raffle, right through to the major sponsorship we took at City of Culture, you know, which was a lot of money for us and we were, we were first in and they wanted us first in because they knew if we went first in, a lot of other people might, might follow. But we felt, uh, firstly, we've been around for 140 years making a living in our community. It's our duty to give back to that community as appropriately and as we can. But I got to a stage where I thought, are we going too far here? Because I was looking at everything and it was always, I thought, are there any other companies that, that are going to do stuff like this? So my mentor, and we'll talk about mentors shortly, is a guy called René Carriel. I don't see him very often, but he's followed my career and I've followed his since 2004. And uh, he got back in contact with me and said, uh, Paul, I see what you're doing, can I come up and see you? And I was on holiday. So he just came up, spent a day and an evening in dinner, went through the whole team, and they wanted some feedback and he said, no. I'll give Paul the feedback when he gets back. So he went down to London, had a beautiful Italian meal with him. And he said, Paul, you, he said, I, I, I would have expected something decent. He said, I was absolutely blown away. You, you, you demonstrated in Hull what a company can do for a city, you know, and you are a company of place. You, you work in this place and you try to make people's lives in the place better. Uh, and I said, well, sometimes I think we're a bit of a soft touch, René. He said, well, I've seen your progress over the 50, last 15 years. You ain't done too bad on it, <laughs> have you? So I said, so is kindness a strategy then? Is making, is this higher purpose? Can it actually become part of the purpose? Oh, he said, absolutely. I'll whisper this to you, Paul. It's the only strategy. Uh, and the nice thing that you've got is the, you know, the purpose is to, the, your purpose is the higher purpose. That's what the business is doing at the moment. And it, and it is the higher purpose. So that's great. But uh, thinking thinking of, of of other businesses, when I look at, because I get the privilege now of, of seeing lots of businesses like we're talking about yours, John. And uh, so many businesses, when I said, so what are you for? 
if they've been going, say, above half a dozen years, the uh, occurrence of mission drift or strategic drift or forgotten, forgetting their purpose, you wouldn't believe how much it occurs. They've forgotten why they started the business when they get tied up into winning business, delivering it, etc. And we have to take a rain check and say, well, let's go back to the beginning of your purpose. And if that purpose has got a higher purpose bolted on top, like John Mackey taught me all those years ago in America, I think it's got a much bigger chance of sustainability being a business for the long term. It's got a lot better chance of being forgiven when it cocks up because we all cock up. And it's got a much better chance of being fun to make you want to carry on doing it. Because you said you like it when people you say you've done good, John. You know, well, if somebody's respecting your business for doing good, that is a, 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 a real reason to carry on doing what you're doing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is one of the things I wanted to talk to you about in this initial discussion was this idea of the comfort zone. We work in, in an area where we, we know the customers. The products and services are always developing, so we're, we're yeah. constantly pushing ourselves that you can't not do that. Financially, we're in a com- comfort zone because, yes, we have cash in the bank. Th- for me, my question is, and, and one of the reasons why I wanted to speak to you about this, Paul, is we, we have a constant battle going on between whether we have an aspiration to do things on a bigger scale or whether our true purpose is about how we can improve things in our little corner of the world. Yeah. And I will change my mind on that. I'll flip-flop on a, on a daily basis because... So we're recording this just outside of the city of Hull where I grew up. And a lot of our work in Eskimo Soup is Hull, Humber, Yorkshire, north of England. And a lot of it is in the Humber. We do a lot of work with the police. We do a lot of work with the NHS Trust. We do a lot of work with some yeah. of the larger charities operating. So we, we know the challenges. We know the people. And we've got a good track record on making and doing things slightly differently but ultimately doing things that have actually worked rather than things that look pretty or seem clever things that have actually worked and we've become a bit of a gorilla in this little market our ambition was to position ourselves as the people that you would come to to trust to solve a difficult problem and that's great I just wonder if in 10 years time 20 years time we we might look back and go should we have pushed ourselves out of our comfort zone should we have taken on tougher challenges should we have taken on bigger challenges and challenges that have got bigger impact I don't expect you to give me a quick immediate answer to that but that's that's one of the big questions the immediate answer that came to mind is something that Eleanor Roosevelt once said she said do one thing every day that scares you and that and and, and that can take you out of your comfort zone that that's that's a cheap one isn't it Uh, I could say for comfort zone you could read niche market because any, any business, if it's going to be really successful, has to get into some sort of temporary niche market. All niche markets are temporary in this world of ours. So when you're in a niche market and you're, you're known as, as uh, you're famous for what you do. An American once said to me uh, when I was giving a presentation in Atlanta, so what are you famous for? I'm famous for my hot dogs in Kentucky. People make diversions from them. They drive out the way from them. What are you famous for? I thought, oh shit. <laughs> I really need to be able to answer that question. I think you can answer it round here. So I think it's likely that you're, you're in a niche market of higher purpose. I think any business owes itself, when it's, once it's battled its way into that niche market temporarily, to make sure you harvest everything in that niche market whilst you're known and famous for that. I think you'd regret it if you didn't. I think that would be a shame. And not just think, oh, it's a timescale, I better... You'll know when competition's coming into your area 
and people are starting, you know, it, to be mimicked is a great compliment, isn't it? And it will come because it's a marketplace. If you're successful, what you do. So you said comfort zone. I looked, just thought about your career. I would say the last 20 years, starting with 9-11, which changed the world order for the sake of three planes and a, a bunch of savvy, internet savvy Islamic fundamentalists, they brought a world superpower to their knees and changed warfare that day forever because no longer was America's big bazookas going to be pointing at Russia's big bazookas and vice versa. And now warfare is on the internet, isn't it? It's the disruptors on there. So we've got a disruptor on there right the way through to the crisis we're in now. And I look at everything in between in my, in my second half to say... Banks used to be banks where you went for cash and then the cash machine, the ATM saw for them and now contactless is seen for the ATM people and uh, you have uh, Airbnb seen for hotels. I think you, your career in business has seen the most disruptive 17, 20 years, certainly that I've had in my 40 year career and, and, and you were probably a disruptor once. When you're a disruptor, you alter the marketplace. People look at you, your competitors look at you fearfully, your clients, some of them embrace you, some of them can't weigh you up. Uh, but once you've taken that stage of being a disruptor and you've got in your niche market, I think you owe it to yourself and your business to make sure you, you carry that journey through for however long it's gonna be. And let's go, just go be a disruptor with something else. You know, you know, because your personality is that you will leave the people you've gathered around you to do the good stuff. Uh, you'll set the values, because that's we'll talk, I'm sure we'll talk about culture later on, but you know, you'll know you set the key core values, and to bring people in and get them working on that will allow you to go and do your disruption, because I think you've got it in you, you know. So in my book, it's one, have fun. You seem like a guy who needs fun. Oh, definitely. You know, you need you need to have that fun. So don't don't make any excuses for that. And I don't mean funny, funny. I mean springing your step Monday morning type fun. Have fun at what you're doing and what you go uh, see it in what you're going to do. Live for the now, because I think you come from a generation that actually don't celebrate. You you need to be celebrating what you're doing. You're really happy what you're doing. You've got a name for it. You've got yourself a little niche market. Uh, your clients obviously love you. For God's sake, why do you celebrate that? You know, the bad enough bad days come along. Uh, so I would suggest you celebrate the success you've got now, John. And then the way you approach that comfort zone is just to expect change. Expect that it will be disrupted. Don't, don't let that come as a surprise. So it's here, here it is. Treat it, treat it as a friend. Uh, because then you will, knowing you, have another little burst of disruption and entrepreneurial burst where something else will kick off. And there's nothing wrong with it. You'd have to finish with that to start that. In my second half, things that we've created are now still going on, but we're being disruptive in other areas and having some fun there. So I keep mentioning that high level of self-awareness that knowing what you, you you'll know what your conscious drivers are 
I think we've got to find out what your subconscious drivers are. And if we really thought about that and you did some, we could do some work with you on that because I know what my subconscious drivers are. Uh, I think get yourself an ear or two. Uh, they, they call it mentoring, they call it coaching, call it what you want. I've always had somebody outside of my sphere of business uh, and sometimes even outside business because I actually live with the third sector and still runs a very cause-based organisation. People go and volunteer up there because they believe in the cause and she's taught me how to put a lot of cause into the business and hopefully I've taught her how to put a bit of business into the cause. Uh, I think uh, the people you hang around with coaching and mentorship wise, my dad used to say, hang around with winners, Paul. Because if you hang around with losers, you'll become either, either one. And I, I didn't think much of that at the time. But uh, And I think it's awful that you, you consciously look for a winner and go and hang around. I don't think it works like that. But I think uh, certainly I've always had four or five people in my life I could go and... Because what you do is a lonely place, you know. And I'm really worried about decision-maker loneliness. You know, if you make a decision all on your own with all what's going around in your head at that time, you're not inclined to make a, a string of the best decisions. But I think if you have people you respect, you can kick the idea about with. Nothing to do with your business, probably not. nothing to do with the sector of your business. Uh, but I think I would suggest for the second half, and maybe this conversation could be the start of this, mm. uh, a number of people that you respect that you can go and kick ideas around with that can be make you more self-aware, that, 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 that can lead towards better decisions. And then and then just try stuff. And I know you will. Uh, but you don't, you, you don't have to leave that business that's in the comfort zone and in the niche market and going, okay, you don't need to disrupt that to go and try stuff. If you set that up right with the right people, you can relieve your thirst for trying stuff over here. And that's a great basis for being on because entrepreneurs fail the way to success, don't they? They try stuff if you don't work, they try something else. They make a leap uh, into the dark often, and if they land on something solid, they build on it. If they fall down, they do themselves and, and go again. You're an entrepreneur, John. That will be your entrepreneurial process, but and, and that'll be your approach. But you can build on what you've already built. This first half can be a great. With me, it was a great platform to go and have a wonderful second half of disruption and having fun and whilst making people's lives better. Enjoy the journey, trust your instincts. I would say, looking back on my two halves from added time, the bits where I trusted my instincts was always the bits that... I'll tell you what I've often done when gathering people around me uh, if, I, if you had to say about regrets and not trusting your instincts, if I gathered people around me, it could be partners, could be employees, could, even customers, if I knew my instincts, something told me something wasn't right. There were win-lose merchants. They were taking the piss or were able to take the piss. I never acted early enough. So if there's a, an employee, they come in, you know something's wrong in a couple of months, and a year later, you do something about it. I, if I had my time to come again, I would trust my instinct earlier. And I think you will have a more heightened instinct in the second half. Because you've not only done your 10,000 hours, maybe you've probably done 40,000 hours or whatever you're doing. Your instincts and that experience will give you a good basis of acting earlier. Because I, I never did. 
Uh, I think you've got to watch overthinking stuff. You're a clever boy. Uh, I uh, and problems with clever people they can tend to overthink and I think we're in an era and if you've only got to hear the news and what's going on at the moment in this crisis a set of people who actually don't know nobody knows what's going on and everybody expects to be known what's going on that's why it's so frustrating and decisions are being made critical decisions on the on, on, on no decision-making basis uh, so uh, I think people who torture themselves with overthinking uh aligning themselves up for stress you don't strike me as that type of person but you're you're in a generation of overthinkers i think uh getting there with this uh i think you should just remain optimistic because the older you get into your second half the scars that you get can create a cynic and if you ever hear yourself saying, oh, we tried that, it didn't work. Or, oh, I know what's going to happen here. I've been hurt. You know, it's your chimp, it's your chimp brain. Mm. You know, comes along and says, oh, don't do that. That's going to hurt. Uh, the only antidote to that for me is to make sure you remain an optimist. And if I was going to say anything about the second half in this phase of this discussion is look at it. And not a reckless optimist. Not, not, you know, I, I, hate, I hate the term glass half full and glass. I mean, there's times in my career I was just happy to have a glass. <laughs> and then there's other times in my career I'd have a lovely glass and turn a bit of a stain on it and getting too discerning. I, I don't like that. Uh, you can tell I'll just put a glass down by the way. Yeah, visual. <laughs> visual. Uh, I, I think an optimist I define as somebody who looks at a situation or a person or whatever and sees the bad and the good but chooses to concentrate on the good. And uh, the problem is with being cynical, you choose to concentrate on the other side of it. And my observation, and there are more cynics in the second half than you'll ever find in the first half. Uh, and I think a lot of cynics turn out to be right, but they never turn out to be real winners, in my, in my uh, opinion. Uh, so I think it's all there in front of you, John. Uh, uh, I, I wish I was you, really. <laughs> that brings us to the end of episode one. I hope you can join us for episode two, Come Together, as we discuss people. Copies of Paul Sewell's book, Half a Lettuce, are available upon request. Just Google Paul Sewell, Half a Lettuce. This has been a socially good media production by Eskimo Soup. Google Eskimo Soup or follow us on your chosen media to find out more. Finally, if you've enjoyed this podcast, and I sincerely hope that you have, please tell someone. Share online, rate and review on Twitter or wherever you get your podcasts.